2: Welcome to podcast like it's 1999. I am your host, Philiscove, And with me today is the illustrious Tia Napolitano <laughs> back again. Um, thank God. Uh, writer on Grey's Anatomy, Scandal, Station 19, Council of Dads, and the showrunner of Cruel Summer on Freeform, which will be premiering in the Cruel Summer of 2021, which we imagine probably won't be all that different from the summer we just lived through. Um, but putting that aside, Let's uh let's go back to 1999 and to a kinder time, perhaps for some. Anyway, um, we are talking about Sex in the City's second season, specifically episode 205, Four Women and a Funeral." Um, but before we talk about this specific episode, I want to talk about you and Sex in the City. When uh-huh. did you first see it? And you know, how did it change your life? Did it change the way you saw dating relationships? Empowerment of women and such? Sure. So I was a
3: little bit young. Um, (laughs) Okay. How young? uh, Let's see. In 1999, I was – you know, I wasn't really allowed to watch it until probably 2001, 2002. My mom watched it. And Mm -hmm. so it was – and it's, like, weird. You know, you only have one TV in your house. It's weird to watch a show like that with your mom. So it was, like, her TV, and I didn't didn't partake. So I think once the DVDs started rolling out – but I definitely had seen it by high school, which I graduated high school in 2002. Um, and it was, it was like so scandalous and so envelope pushing at the time, but it also really celebrated. I mean, it, still is. it still is. It's, it's yeah, it's racy, but it, it really celebrated female friendship in a way that I think deeply resonated with me. And, you know, I went to NYU, uh, And sort of expected New York to look like that. And it kind of did. You know, it was a little bit later, but it was very, it was, it was like going to Disneyland and like seeing the characters in real life. Like the streets felt, they just did a really good job of like portraying New York, I think. Um, But I wasn't like the dating was far too adult for me. Like I was still a kid. I was still like in high school and stuff. So I was like, oh, this is intense dating. Looking at it now, we'll get into, but it's crazy.
2: So I never lived in New York. I could never live in New York. I don't think I'm built for a city like New York. That's correct. <laughs> you are though.
3: I am. Uh,
2: <laughs> did you, I mean, I guess the question was more about, is more sort of, and, and I'm trying to ask this of, of the female guests that we have on where, you know, you see these four very different women on this television show They're It's a very popular television show. And, did you find yourself trying to emulate in any way? Did you feel like you were like, I want to be a Carrie. I want to be a this. Was that something that you felt when you moved to New York? Oh yeah. Like
3: okay. a, a little before that, like I, I remember my junior year and like we were young, I was 16. Being, We had this group of four friends and it was like, who is the Carrie? Who is the Samantha? I was the Carrie, obviously, <laughs> for obvious reasons. Uh-huh. I think Samantha was just like, always so adult that it was like hard for any young woman to see herself. Charlotte was too conservative and traditional and Miranda was just not my style. Like she has this like wonderful, strong style. That's like a little bit masculine. It was like not my thing. So, and you know, Carrie was tailored to sort of be in every woman. Like she was the most to me and maybe that's Mm -hmm. just to me, but it's like, you know, she's designed. So everyone sees a little bit of themselves in her. So I was like, Oh yeah, that's sure. me. I am that cool and well dressed, and my closets of that size <laughs> completely appropriate. <laughs> I,
2: I think it's I think it's interesting. Um, uh, the first guest that I had on was Emily Nussbaum, who is a, a New Yorker writer, and she wrote this really great piece about how Carrie is sort of the first rom com anti hero. Um, that there's this sort of component to Carrie of being, and I brought this up uh, in the writers room on Stage 19. You know, the bullshit bagels, like that. She's just this narcissist who can't really kind of see outside her own little you know uh, bubble and I, I think that that's kind of a first to sort of see someone who's allowed to be a mess who's allowed to be flawed um, you know you and 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 I, w- I would argue uh, she's <laughs> she's given less and less leniency to do that as the show progresses mm-hmm. as it starts those first two seasons i would even say first three seasons where you know she's a- she's allowed to cheat on big she's allowed to be a mess even her aesthetic is like as i'm sure you noticed in this episode where like her hair's kind of fucked like she's all just sort of a mess and she's allowed to be a mess and i wonder you know did you feel like that was in its own way sort of empowering and freeing to see a woman the lead of a television show be allowed to be that way.
3: Yeah, for sure. I think that's probably what felt so real and we'll get into it, but like the voiceover is such a, I mean, they just lean so heavily on it, but like instead of just seeing, it just allows for all these private moments. So yes, she was a mess physically and she makes mistakes, which is super freeing. Although I don't think I realized it at the time, but also you get to see the part of her that no one else sees all the time, mm-hmm. every episode. You know, you're in her head, you're at home with her, she's embarrassed, she's ashamed. There's like one episode where no one shows up to her birthday party and she cries in the shower. And I was just like, oh, we've all had that happen. Like, not mm-hmm. that specific thing, but it's like I'm socially mortified. And embarrassed, and I'm crying in the shower with my makeup all all down my face. Um,
2: there were a couple moments in this episode in particular, which we'll get to. Um, one in particular that I was like, "Whoa! Like that's a real that's a real thing." Like this this episode, because it's dealing with death um, in some form or another, is a is a more substantive episode perhaps than they usually do. Um, but you mentioned something with the voiceover, and I, I want to unpack that really quickly. You know, we we worked on a show that had voiceover. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Worked on a couple. <laughs> you worked on a couple. I worked on one with you. Um, and you know, voiceover is—it's a weird thing. It has this very strange kind of perception of being "quote unquote" hacky or lazy or a crutch. And I—I I, I hear that. And I'm not saying that that there aren't shows and movies that do use it that way. But I also think that this show in particular, it gives them more real estate to dig into things when they can just flat out say a thing, then they can go and and dig deeper into that thing. Unlike, for instance, the show we wrote voiceover for, where it's a little bit more of a universality, where it's used as sort of a catch-all, where on, on this show, I feel like it does both those things. There's a universality to it, but it also allows you to explicitly say your theme in a funny way. It's also... Not to be a stickler for, you know, semantics, but like in this show, it's her column, right? Like she's reading her column to us. Couldn't tell you why there's voiceover in Station 19 or Grey's Anatomy, yeah. but that's either yeah. here nor there. It's, you it's understand part what? of
3: like the voice of God versus yes, yes. interior monologue, or in this Correct. case, the column. It's like you know, you know, you know what you're hearing. Yeah, it's not like why am I listening to someone ponder about life right. randomly. Um. No, it's really effective. I mean, I think especially at, at the time, like like at the time, it was like sort of new and people were doing it. And it's a tool that was being used. I think now it's like we're like, okay, that's played out. I know what voiceover is mm-hmm. supposed to do. Like you see the, you see the magic trick. Mm-hmm. And for Sex in the City, it was just really impactful for being so emotional. And, yeah, like it, there's a reason it's so watchable. It's so watchable. You it's just so watchable. Going and going.
2: I think that there's also, you know, I guess I keep coming back to sort of the logic of it. I think that today you can get away with voiceover if it actually serves a logistical purpose. And by that, I mean, your character has a journal or your character has a vlog or there's some sort of a thing that the audience can kind of hold on to that's tactile, that the, the voice of God can be a little bit sort of, I don't know, not as effective. Let's just mm-hmm. say that. Um, but, but I do think that this... So I've obviously, I've watched the show many times over, as I'm sure you have too. And I do think that these first two seasons are a little bumpier than the the ones that follow. Um, part of that being that it's a little more sitcom-y mm-hmm. than, um, than it, it, it it digs deeper into longer relationships. You know, if it's Aiden or if it's Steve or if it's Trey, like they, they stop having the leads just, you know, have these one-off boyfriends or one-off things but I do think there's a fun to the one-offs that exist in these first two seasons it has a very oh, yeah. seinfeld and kind of quality to it um how did you I mean what did I'm,
3: <laughs> I'm I see off. there's
2: a cat <laughs>
3: okay. he's gone he's gone he was visiting now he's gone great
2: yeah I mean I I guess I sort of my question to you is you know it's it's easier for you and I and I guess any sort of analytical thinker of television to be able to kind of look at the whole series from like 30,000 feet and see all these kind of ups and downs and these great sort of like character growths and changes. And, you know, we can talk about the movies if we like, even though I pretend they don't exist. Um, (laughs) (laughs) How do you feel? What are are your thoughts on season two? Like, how do you, how do you feel about it?
3: You know, I haven't really dissected it season by season in a long time sort of the markers I can remember is anytime I've gone to rewatch the series and you watch the pilot, it's so wildly different yes, and they yes. kind of try to keep it up through season one, right? There are these weird, like man on street interviews. She talks,
2: she talks to the camera. It's She
3: talks to the camera. It's really brutal. And so that goes away. And so I sort of was surprised watching this episode, how much it modeled future episodes. You know, yeah. they really had dropped that train by now. And uh, but like the music cues are wacky, like you're saying, it's like a little sitcomy. Um, I like the one-offs, the one-off guys that they date, and I think they just are so effective at that. Um, but by you know, as it progresses, as shows do, you really feel like these women have gone through so much together as we move forward, and and you can feel it. They have they have baggage and they have scars, and you can feel them like evolve as a family in a way that like really hits home for me. Again, I watched it younger, so I like the friendships. To me, meant so much more than like sure. the sexcapades. Um,
2: so um, we had you on for our, our friends episode uh-huh. back back when the world was just different. <laughs> um, and I I I, I want to kind of ask you, and it's sort of an unfair question, so forgive me. But when you put these two shows next to each other, very different television shows, right? But the thing that you just kind of you know, honed in on is the friendships, right? It's these four women, these, and, and their friendships and friends is obviously about, you know, the friendship of these six individuals. Um, You watch these shows at the same time. These shows are both on at the same time, right? They're, they're not both cresting at the same time. I mean, this show is hitting its stride in, you know, the, the late nineties, early two thousands. And at that point friends, some might argue had seen better days, but you know, how did you sort of, how did you, as a viewer, enjoy these two shows that are very different, but sort of, you know, how did, how did you perceive them?
3: It's weird because they're both adult shows in New York. It, it, like, to me, I just saw it's Sex True. and City as, like, marking an older stage in life and Friends, like, it was coming sooner. Like, Friends, they were these fumbling 20-somethings trying to figure it out. And it was very, like, for the most part, although I think jokes just went over my head, family-friendly mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um and Sex in the City was like these women were like mid career. It just like in both ways I found them aspirational and really comforting. And I thought, like, oh, here are the next two chapters in my life. Like, first I'll live like Rachel and Monica, and then right. I'll graduate to have this fabulous apartment like Carrie, but surely this is what New York looks like. This is real. Like it was yeah. very like, I don't know, accessible.
2: You know, it's funny you bring up the New York thing because one of these shows was filmed in New York and another show was filmed in Burbank. Oh yeah. Uh, so like friends has this sort of idealized kind of like snow version of New York. And then this show is kind of grimy and it's kind of gross and it, and it, and it allows New York to feel like New York with all of the pros and cons that come with New York. Um, And I guess that sort of makes sense, right? That friends was this idealized perspective of your twenties where you'd live in this giant loft apartment in New York City with all your friends and get into hijinks together and date. And it just, it was all great. This show, you know, one of the things that I love about the series and one of the reasons that I don't like the movies is how intimate and small the show feels, right? Like you really do feel like you're in these relationships with these women in these very little apartments for the most part other than Charlotte's gargantuan house that she eventually gets and all that sort of stuff. But um, yeah, I mean, I guess there's, how do you, you, lived in New York. How do you feel like these two shows sort of, you know, showed New York?
3: I mean, I think quickly upon even visiting New York, you realize how fake friends is. I mean, there's central park set that I think they reuse for like all kinds of stuff. But it's just so bad. And like the street outside <laughs> central Park which is supposed to be in the village, but is called Central Park. I mean, like, upon visiting NYU, I think I was like, oh, like, (laughs) this is is all fake. But, like, Sex in the City, I think, really held up. And, like, there were still yellow cabs when I went to NYU. And, like, they talk about – I mean, even in this one, it's like a cab Mm -hmm. is either going to kill you or save your life. It's like (laughs) – and they they go to that well a lot. It's like Carrie's taking the subway, you know, even in the opening, she's getting, like, filthy water splashed on her. Like, my NYU dorm freshman year, it's like we always said it's the best address you'll ever have, and it's true. It was, like, on Fifth Avenue right off of Washington Square Park. It's like Madonna's flat was, like, two blocks away, like, stupid. And I was just, right. like, very – it just felt like right where – you know, Carrie and the gang that hung out and the brunch scene was like that. I mean, I couldn't really afford to go to it, but you could see it. It felt, it felt like very authentic.
2: Yeah. It's, you know, and, and I hate to say this because it is such a well-worn trope that is said um, of all the things that we love, but the city is a character in this show. Um, they really I made mean, it in the title, but you know, they, they really do out of, go out of their way to make sure that, I mean, I would argue, probably in 95% of her VO, she says, in New York, like in New York, like it's New York is a character. Um, And and I do think they do a great job. I mean, I, I, you know, this episode, I was, I was pleasantly surprised by some aspects aspects of it. And some parts we're going to have to dig into (laughs) because they're a little problematic. I'm so Um,
1: excited. (laughs)
2: But um let me just give a quick synopsis of this episode for those who might not have seen it. Uh, Carrie starts seeing Mr. Big again. Can I I just got to stop for one quick second? <laughs> just can can we just stop and 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 take note of the fact that for 6 seasons and 6 seasons of television there was a character referred to as Mr. Big and no one batted an eyelash that that's not really weird.
0: <laughs> but
1: anyway. It's
3: so weird. It's I remember thinking, oh, this must be a grown up thing that I don't understand. And like there are a lot of things about that character that consistently (laughs) I'm like, nope. I'm like, what is the age? Is it seventy two where that'll click and like make sense to me? Because I'm not there yet. (laughs) It's not happening.
2: (laughs) It's ridiculous. Anyway. So, uh, Carrie starts seeing Mr. Big again. Miranda buys her own apartment on the Upper West Side. Charlotte meets a recent widower at a cemetery. And Samantha's actions with a married man get her in trouble with the New York High Society. Ladies who lunch, quote-unquote, and only a Titanic star can help her out. Four Women in a Funeral aired on July 4th, 1999. It was written by Jenny Bix and directed by Alan Coulter. So um, I was able to find Vulture and Elle Magazine both did a ranking of every single episode of Sex and the City. So I've been quoting these uh, two things as we go along. So Vulture ranked this 88th of 96 episodes. (laughs) yeah, A vague potpourri of minor plots. Miranda buys an apartment and is single shamed in the process. Charlotte meets a hot widower at a cemetery. Carrie also starts seeing Big again after their recent breakup because of course she does. Elle Magazine, however, gave it Ranked at 60th Um, at a girl. uh, As the girls visit a famous designer's funeral, the show finally starts inching towards its destiny as must-see fashion porn. But after the funeral, the fun's over. The episode takes a hokey look at death and its many definitions. Um, You know, they're a little harder on it in a weird way, but also give it a higher ranking. So I'm not really sure what to make of that. Um, I want to just talk for a second about, like, the themes of this episode, which essentially is how much time do we really have and can relationships bring us back to life, give us life, our relationships, everything is sort of the, the two kind of things that this episode is speaking to. Um, you know, this show doesn't generally contemplate existence.
3: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> It's
2: not really an existential show. So for this episode to kind of go there, I was pleasantly surprised. But then there are times where it kind of doesn't really want to talk about these things. Um Carrie and Big's dinner, for instance, where she's like, what's your version of heaven? And he's like, a bed, baby. And you're like, fuck off. Like, what is this? It's so
3: gross. It's so (laughs) gross. I mean, I think that Miranda choking on Chinese food scene stuck with me. That's that's where it's working. And I feel like that is something that really stuck. Like, that possibility. Like, I'm sure a lot of women my age and around my age, it just stuck with us. I had this friend... Who now is happily ever after married with beautiful children. And I won't name her, but she was like, you know, like 22 or 21 living in an apartment alone in New York, which is good for her. And she was like, good I think I'm going to die alone with my cats. And it's like, who planted that there? You're 21.
2: Like, <laughs> Apparently this episode, but I, I think, 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 that, episode. but it's a real thing. I think it's a thing for single people in general, like speaking as a man, I lived alone on various occasions, you know, I'm, I'm not married. I don't have kids. I hope to have these things someday, but it is sort of, you know, it's especially now where we're all trapped inside our homes. This takes on a whole new level of, of, but that scene, um, basically uh, Miranda's eating some Chinese food, it seems, and she chokes and she's panicked red faced, running around her apartment. Like, she can't breathe. She's able to dislodge it by like throwing herself into a into a moving box, um, and then she calls Carrie in a panic, and she's like, "I was going to die alone. Like this is it. My cat's going to eat my face, like the previous tenant. Like it's it's, it's all going to be over." Um, that works really really well. Like that's right in the show's sweet spot, and that's why I'm happy that they went to these thematic places in this episode.
3: Yeah,
2: but then. Other things are, are a little more heavy-handed. Uh, for instance, Charlotte's storyline with this, with this widower. Um, that. So basically, they go to a funeral of this fashion designer, um, who, by the way, dies of a heroin overdose. <laughs> like, who
3: we never met.
2: Never met, but like, heroin's not this show.
3: No, I thought that was so cool, though. It's like he loved high fashion or whatever, but unfortunately, he loved heroin more. I was like, "Oh wow!" Like we're off to the
2: races. This is
3: really interesting.
2: Yeah, I was. I was. I kind of took a second. I was like, "Wow, that's kind of crazy." Carrie then has a line that I loved in her first scene with Samantha. Samantha shows up wearing the couture of this designer, of course. Um, And Carrie says, "That's the thing about New York: you're always more popular when you're not around." Yeah, it's a great fucking line.
3: It's so good.
2: But they go to this. They go to this funeral, which I mean, it's a pretty small funeral, and the clothes are not great.
3: The clothes are insane. Also, it's invite only. Is this something I'm missing? It's like there was plenty of space. Like I don't understand. It was invite only. Carrie got a guest. Samantha didn't get a guest. Like it was crazy.
2: It's weird. Um, But Charlotte feels weird that she's not wearing a piece of clothing from this designer. So she borrows Samantha's hat, which blows off in the wind and blows towards a grave where she (laughs) meets a man who's standing next to a grave um, of his dead wife. Mm -hmm. And uh, then in the limo leaving, this Charlotte tells Samantha and Carrie about this guy who's a widow and they're going to get drinks. And like, first of all, I would just be like, red flag like this everything about (laughs) this is a red flag but whatever but then carrie and Samantha tell her not to date this guy because she'll never be able to live up to the dead wife Mm -hmm. which all of this is kind of insane right i mean this storyline is bonkers
3: it's really really wild i will say the widow slash divorced person of it all i mean i've heard i've heard those conversations though of people
2: really yeah. Weird. Yeah. Weird.
3: I, but I, now I'm like, or oh, did I just watch this TV show? Like, <laughs> 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 did it just like bury down in my brain and That's just it in? It's,
1: it's possible. It's I mean, really I
2: possible. guess what's interesting about this show in general, but also, and and the brilliance of this show ultimately, and, and maybe this is just the brilliance of, of good comedy writing good sitcom writing is that each of them exists in a lane right so you find a storyline that that underlines the Charlotteness of the world and it's that she's willing to kind of turn a blind eye and that she loves how emotionally he is and how in touch with his feelings he is and he's been married which means that he's he's ready to commit like he's open just, to it <laughs> it's just all these things you're like but okay i mean you you can see why she's buying into it and you can also see why obviously carrie and smith are like this is a terrible idea don't do this um so then miranda buys a new apartment and uh carrie calls big because she wants see this is a little bit weird so she's having like an existential crisis she's afraid of like am I going to die alone? Sort of like, she's not saying that, but she's kind of feeling that. And she's feeling like, did I fuck up? Did I pull the plug too quickly on big? It's kind of the impression that I'm getting right. Is that sort of it, it?
3: to me? It read like big is her addiction and she's not quite <laughs> done. So can she take another little yeah. trip Hit. down to the yeah. heroin factory? Cause that's where heroin comes from. And like, it's like, can I ride this roller coaster again? 'Cause I'm not done with it for life. But uh that's what it it didn't feel like.
2: That's that's a good way. That's a better read than mine. Cause I think you're yeah, you, you the I think that there is the addiction component for sure, and there's the am I done with it yet? Kind am of I like done with is it it yet?
1: The,
2: Yeah. Uh which obviously by the end of this episode she's not. Spoiler. But um what a glutton for punishment this character is. It's it's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. It's we will get into it. it. Yeah, I can't. So, that, so, Carrie and Big make dinner plans. Samantha meets this guy, Dick Cranwell, because she's at the funeral. Like, this is insane. At the funeral, she decides that she's going to talk to the sister of, of Javier, the, the unfortunately deceased character, mm-hmm. and work with her to get donors for a charity, which is essentially like a halfway house or a sort of for drug addiction. Like, as I'm saying this, it's fucking preposterous. It's but really this pretty. is what happens. Mm-hmm. So, she, so she talks to the sister and then she goes and meets this guy, Dick Cranwell, who's a potential donor for this charity. And then she makes out with him because Samantha is... Samantha, I guess. I'm not okay with it. But then the wife walks in. It's so bad. And the wife um, is obviously horrified by the situation. The husband, by the way, doesn't seem all That's that upset character. by it. He's just like, whatever
3: you got to love the way Samantha just pats him on the bottom to be like your wife's here. And she just pats his little bottom (laughs) and he turns around. It
2: is is a great bit of, of direction there. Why don't you just pat him and give him a, give him a heads up. Mm -hmm. Uh, So then they all go to lunch and Miranda is complaining about the fact that she has to check all these single women boxes on her mortgage. And they have a whole, I think very interesting conversation about why as a woman you have to do that? But if you were a man, like these aren't things that you would, these aren't questions you would be asked. Now I think that this is, um, remnants of obviously a time gone by where yeah. women needed men to like sign credit cards, think, like co-sign all sorts of shit for them, which is insane, obviously. And it feels like a remnant of that, but understandably they see it as uh, obviously a, obviously a, a anti-feminist sentiment. Um, and then, of course, Charlotte's like, oh, but of course you need... A- it's like fucking ridiculous. Of course you need a man. Who And if you, you know, if a man meets a woman and she owns her own place, then the power dynamics are all thrown off. And I'm just like, Charlotte, shut the fuck up. Like, sometimes she just needs to shut the fuck up. It's so bad. But what did you think of this scene in terms of like this kind of unpacking of this odd anti-feminist situation?
3: It feels... It's so strange because it feels a little dated now. Like, it's just nothing. Yeah. We're just so far past that. Mm-hmm. But... It is bullshittery. It's interesting. (laughs) Like it's full bullshittery, but this like group of women, what I love about them is like, they're just so different. You're almost like, how are these all friends? How are these women all friends? I mean, the truth is Carrie's the linchpin. She's the glue, right? So it's like, they're all a little bit friends with Carrie. It's like Mm -hmm. hard to imagine scenes with them without her almost. Um,
1: There are very few of them.
3: (laughs) They don't. Yeah. There are very few of them. They're Although one of the most interesting things is when, um, I, I think it's Charlotte or Miranda, when Charlotte can't have a baby and Miranda has a new yes, baby. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. It's like one of the most beautiful things they do. Um, but When the, she
2: follows her after she gets the test results, fantastic. The most Great supportive
3: support. thing I've ever seen. I love it. Um, but it's like Miranda's on this feminist crusade and the others like barely react. It's like... <laughs> You know, they're like, oh, that's so cute, Miranda, with your short Mm -hmm. haircut and your feminist crusade. Like, they take the bait. Charlotte really Mm -hmm. does. But, like, Miranda stands alone. Like, the cheese stands alone on the feminist platform. She
2: definitely, definitely does. It is kind of crazy. And it's it's interesting. As you were talking, I was sort of, like, trying to pair them up in my head. And, like, Miranda and and Charlotte are very different, but their storylines can be compatible, right? Like, their characters, the water and oil of them – Works sometimes. Samantha's the odd one out. She never has any scenes with just Miranda or just Charlotte, but she will have scenes with just Carrie. There's a
3: they go to that weird like what becomes interesting because Charlotte's highly irritating, right? The, the, she can, she the, can be like the stick is just so far up this woman's ass, and she's just <laughs> holding to these traditions that like are antiquated even for the time. And they did this beautiful like what what's compelling about her is she has a great heart and she's sort of desperate. It's like, you can Mm -hmm. feel because she's not on top of the world, she's not married yet. And she wants to be, and then she has relationship woes. I think that's like your way into her. And they do this thing later where they go to like a motivational dating speaker and Charlotte's like, I'm putting myself out there. And then the leader's like, are you really though? Moving on. And, and Samantha stands up for her, right? Is it Samantha or is it Carrie? It's
2: Carrie. It's Carrie. I'm sorry. Damn it. Yeah. But it was a very good argument. And I and 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 it's a wonderful scene because Carrie takes the mic and she's like she's fucking trying. She's like she's there. really fucking trying and it's a great scene. Yeah, it's not Samantha. Samantha is oh. kind of it's it's just it's unfortunate but and this is actually a good segue cuz Samantha's character doesn't start great. Like, they don't really define her particularly well. She kind of is longing for long relationships, which is completely something they throw away. Or not throw away, but, like, delineate to in a more believable way. This is kind of an interesting episode because it feels like they kind, they, they finally own her promiscuity in a way where they're just like, kind of. We need to talk about that. But there, there is, they sort of want to define her as the quote unquote promiscuous one and that there's nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. And there is nothing wrong with that, but up top, they don't really know what she is. And she's sort of this weird kind of like life of the party, but like, what does it all mean type of thing? So Samantha's credit card gets rejected at this restaurant and she finds out she's been blacklisted by Dick's wife. Who's like some hoity toity, like, I don't know, high society, whatever. Um, we have to talk about this because it, I, I, I was watching the scene and was just like, I don't know what you're trying to say here. She essentially goes to talk to the hoitiest of hoity-toities, <laughs> uh, Shippy Shipman, to talk to her and to convince her to like let her back in the club, right? Which Shippy's having none of. Because mm-hmm. Samantha grabbed her husband's ass years ago or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then Samantha... Goes on this terrible, like if I just if I say I'm a whore, if I say I'm just this disgusting whore, will you just finally allow me back into high society? I'm just like mixed messages. What are we getting at here? Like, what did what was your takeaway from this whole? Quite frankly, this whole storyline. What was
3: weird? One, we have to talk about. I don't understand how it ended. I
2: truly. Oh, we'll talk about that. We'll get to that.
3: But this whole <laughs> what it what it felt like is that there. There are layers of New York and there are women like Samantha and Carrie and Charlotte and to a degree degree Miranda who are single and on the social scene. Then there's a layer of grown up above that who are like dour grandma types, pearl clutching, looking like the queen sort of who control
2: everything.
3: Like, it's not like she's like Samantha saying, hey, Shippy, can I get back in your circle? She's just saying, can you puppet New York so that I'm now allowed into the clubs where Shippy would never go.
2: It's like call off the dogs. Call is off the sort of,
3: dogs. But they but have it's never weird. met. She's the godfather of New York. And the, and the whole like, I'm a slut, is that what you want to hear? I, I don't understand it. And you could take that out and just have her stand up and say, FYI, I only cupped your husband's flat ass because I was drunk. And you do not need her to be like, I'm a whore
2: like that's that's the mixed messages part for me that's where it's like you're trying to have your cake and eat it too where your audience that might think Samantha's quote-unquote gross or slutty or whatever the case you don't want to alienate that audience I guess so you're trying to find a way to sort of massage this whole situation to your point Samantha should just own it and just be like this is who I am I don't give a fuck, and then we'll deus ex machina this shit by pulling some movie star out of our ass at the end, and it'll all go away, which is... So, I don't know if you know this, but apparently it was supposed to be John F. Kennedy Jr., and he died shortly before this episode aired.
3: How do you know all this?
2: So, the internet? <laughs> <laughs> I like that you think I just had that in my back pocket. I do. Um, So, he died... And then they changed it to Leonardo DiCaprio, which would sort of explain why the actor looks nothing like Leonardo DiCaprio. He doesn't look anything like JFK Jr. either. But essentially what happens is Samantha goes and does construction on this house, the Javier House charity situation, um, which I guess is just to, supposed to sort of illustrate how low class she is now. I don't like any of this. I don't like it's, any of this.
3: I, I, it, that is weird. I don't know.
2: Right, because that's sort know. of what it feels. <laughs> right, so now she's like sweaty and 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 bedra- and like pushing like uh, um like digging holes in the ground. And anyway, long story short, she looks up, she sees Leonardo DiCaprio. They become friends, and he gives her her social life back again. Um, so this is a symptom of something that this show did more so in seasons one and two than it, and I guess a little bit in three of the, we have to get out of this storyline what's the quickest, easiest way out of this storyline even if it doesn't necessarily make a whole lot of sense and people will be along for the ride and it'll be fine it's no different than in the Charlotte fucking storyline where her boyfriend or whatever, this Ned widower guy that's that she's having sex with invites her to a quote unquote memorial service I guess but then invites the other women that he's fucking to
3: like, why not just at different times? Also, when those women show up, they don't sense. seem to be phased at all.
2: At all, <laughs> <laughs> they seem fine with it.
3: They seem to know about each other,
2: and they seem—it doesn't, doesn't make any sense. It's—it's it's one of those again, kind of like a. This is funny, right? It's funny enough, and it gets us out of the storyline. Yeah, <laughs> which is which is not. I mean, listen, it's, it's, it's what it is, um, but. I'm just, I, as the scene was unfolding, I was like, hey, Ned, what's your end game here, buddy? Like, what's, what, what are we doing?
3: He doesn't seem caught. He seemed to think that would go over just great. And he doesn't really seem sad that Charlotte walks away. He's like, well.
2: He's, I, got, a whole, he's I, got a whole bunch of other women there.
3: <laughs> it's very I, the popular.
2: It's, it, it's, it's, <laughs> it's a parade of limos, a parade of women all holding flowers. There's also the the lead up to this, like the kind of meat of this storyline is Charlotte goes on a date with this guy um, and (laughs) there's a picture of his wife in his wallet that she sees. These first and foremost, I just kind of.
0: Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank.
2: My brain goes to two places. A, if I'm Charlotte, the first thing I'm thinking is either A, he murdered his wife and that this guy's like some sort of a serial killer. B, it's all bullshit. And clearly I'm being played. Like, I just don't know why anyone would think like, but it is Charlotte and she's naive. So I guess fine. Whatever. Whatever. And then he cries on the walk and she kisses him and then they have sex. And she's like, everything's great. There is a tremendous line when the next day she's walking with Carrie and Miranda. <laughs> she says, my hat flew right into her headstone. She was clearly sending a message. And then Miranda's like, yeah, don't fuck my husband, you hat loving bitch.
3: <laughs> I love it. I love it's that. Like, best. It's the best. We make our own mistakes, especially around their age, I guess, which is kind of undetermined. But your friends can always see it, and you just can't. It's like if we could only just manage manage each other's lives, right? Yep. It's like, well, mm-hmm. I don't know what I'm doing for me, but what you're doing is a train wreck. It's so crazy. Also, it's, it it's does, does a thing, which I think I've talked about on this podcast before, which mm. I hate the transition from tears to sex, and everyone does it. <laughs> Why? why am I seeing deep sorrow and then your boner? I don't understand.
2: (laughs) I feel like not only have you said this on the podcast, I feel like you've said it in a writer's room that I've been in with you. Like it feels like it's just...
3: to do it. Tears are not lube. Okay? (laughs) Separate? Separate liquids.
1: I just like...
2: Tears are not lube needs to go on Molly's <laughs> list from the writer's room of things that Tia said that are amazing. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, no. I mean, <laughs> take it. Yeah, that's a really bad. It, it's, it's. yeah, I guess part of it is it's lazy, I think, is one of the things that, you know what I mean? It's, it's the one-to-one of it that you're just like, but that's not usually how it works. Like, if no. someone's crying, I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't lead to sex as often as you would think in television shows.
3: <laughs> oh, so lazy. So lazy and weird.
2: It's pretty, it's pretty lazy. I mean, but it, it feels right for Charlotte.
3: And then they had that huge, the picture of the yeah. white, the headshot that's just Giant so Giant picture. Big. But I do appreciate that whoever calls out like, oh, so you had a threesome.
2: That's yeah, Carrie. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. It's like she was looking down at us and giving us her blessing. It's so
3: gross. It's so culty.
2: Yeah, 100%. so culty and weird. For
3: sure. it
2: feels very uh, Nexium.
0: Very uh, yeah. Very <laughs> it's
2: very strange. Um, yeah, I mean, and then and then essentially Miranda. Um, so okay, Miranda chokes as we mentioned on the chicken. She survives, and then um, the next day she has a panic attack. I've never been more Miranda than I am than I am in this episode, where, like, oh she's having panic attacks. She She's scared of death. She doesn't know if she's going to meet anybody. This is the most me Miranda episode that there's ever been. But she has a panic attack. She gets in a cab. She goes to the ER. Carrie meets up with her. And uh, she explains how much money it cost her to find out that it was a panic attack. Um and she says, I don't have anyone on my emergency list. It's my parents. And Carrie's like, you could put me on. And she's like, you screen, which is amazing.
3: It's perfect. <laughs> it's, amazing. it's also perfect that, <laughs> you know, when Carrie calls her or, or Samantha, uh, God damn it, Miranda calls Carrie after she chokes yeah. and they talk briefly and Miranda's mm-hmm. like, I'm fine. And Carrie doesn't go over there, doesn't call no. her back. She's no. just like, Okay. I'm just gonna sit here and how, about, about how about
2: just the the how stupid Carrie's response of why didn't you call me? And we're gonna be like, I couldn't it's,
3: breathe. It's so stupid. It's so Carrie's dumb. terrible
2: in an emergency. Terrible in an emergency. Don't she should not be your number one call. No. Um, can yeah, we also awful.
3: talk about can you think of the other two T V shows who have used this exact same moment? And I'm not gonna say who did it first because I don't know. I
2: don't. uh, I don't. Tell me what shows, please.
3: Uh, Friends. Rachel goes to the emergency room. She Mm -hmm. has something in her eye. Monica has to fill out her health insurance form. So she's like, phone number. And then she says, emergency contact. And Rachel says, you. And Monica's like, it's me. And they bond. And then uh, Christina and Meredith on Grey's Anatomy. Christina has some surgery. And she's like, you're my person. And it's all about the emergency contact in your 20s. And it, I mean, it's a little crazy that it's all those shows. Also, these are three shows I've seen 50 times up and down. So, of course, I remember them. But it is in your 20s. It's like you just feel too old to be like, it's my mom. Right? But if you're single, like, who the fuck is it? It's cute. Yeah, I mean, it's – like it I, in all shows.
2: I, 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 I think – so. I, it doesn't bother me. And I'll say that, like, you know, you and I have obviously written in television, and there are certain, I don't want to say that they're tropes, because that has such a negative connotation. But I think there are things in your life, there are signposts in your life that are very emotionally potent, right? And that you put a lot of importance on. So it makes sense to use those in multiple television shows, right? Like it, the emergency contact, it's important, right? Like, who is that person? Who is your person? Uh, it, You know, and and I think that all three of these shows do it really well. Um, yeah, I agree. I and, mean, it
3: and, for me, every
2: time, every
3: time I'm like right in the heartstrings, like it just works. Yeah. I think
2: it, Fun. It's also like, it's, it's a lens thing, right? Like every show has its own lens and it feels like, you know, as much as I don't really remember the one in friends and Grey's anatomy, I think that you understand the, the, the tonal component of those shows and how they're telling it their way. Do you know what I'm Uh, saying? Yes. So it it takes on its own connotation. Um, But yeah, it's a a great moment um, that leads to Miranda, the mortgage officer, messes up her contract, so she has to write a letter. It's a lot of legwork. But essentially, essentially she has to write a letter saying she's single. And she's on the verge of having another panic attack, and she finishes typing the word single, and the panic attack goes away. Uh, From experience... Not a thing, (laughs) but (laughs) um, panic attacks don't go away that easily. But, um, and you know, they come back, but uh, I I appreciated it as a device. I think it worked really well for Miranda's character. I think that, um, you know, I I like the idea of, Miranda doesn't seem like a person that would put up with panic attacks is the long and short of it, right? She's not going to allow herself to be controlled by an exterior source. And I think that that I like that part of it. Um, Big shows up at Carrie's apartment after she won't return his calls. I can't. She, open, she opens the door and he goes, "Good, you're alive." And then tries to walk away. I appreciate. I liked Chris Snow's delivery of that line. It was funny. It's really good. Um, and then he immediately tries to fuck her because, like, it feels like that's all he ever wants to do. So he like immediately starts making out with her, and she's like, "No, no, 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 no. we're not doing this." We're going out. And he's like, okay. Disappointed, but like, fine. So she takes him bowling. Which is cute, I guess. They go bowling. It's cute. It's cute. And at the end of the game, he turns to her and big wins. And he's like, so you want to play a second game? Even though, or he says, you ready to get killed again?" again? Again. This is all lacking in subtext, but it works they're cute to get like, they have cute banter and it works. And it's, you know, it's their way of being like, we're doing this again, guys.
3: I just, I don't understand (laughs) what Carrie in this episode specifically ever wants. Like she goes to a funeral and then she calls him and you're like, this is interesting. Mm -hmm. And then she's like, do you want to have dinner? You have no idea why. And he just, names the time the date and the place and that's great for her mm-hmm. and they go and it's clearly she's flirtatious it's a date and then he's like do you want to have sex now and she's like no which fine conflicting feelings but i was like what did you want did you want closure what what how did you want this to go mm-hmm. and then she decides to in a bullshit move just not take his calls for days it's like just pick up and be like, hey, that was a mistake. That went somewhere I didn't want it to at the end. No, I'm going to ignore you, act shocked when you show up. And then she's like, I'm going to, I took him on the least sexy place possible, where she proceeded to flirt with him mercilessly.
2: It's mercilessly. And it's then great. fuck him after. Yeah. But, and then they fuck. It's like, what?
3: what? It, it seemed like she <laughs> wanted to fuck at the beginning and then she yeah. fucked at the end. The journey is confusing.
2: I mean, this is, this is a bigger question that I, that I do want to unpack with you, which is sort of the Carrie, um, does she ever know what she wants? Are these mind games or are they not? Is she really cognizant of what she's doing or is she just flighty and flaky? Um, I don't really have answers to these things, but I would also argue that all of these traits make her human.
3: Yeah. You know, it really is something that this is a conversation that was totally happening 20 years ago, and we are still having it now. It's like the show has the staying power of we're still like, but what does Carrie's heart want? Like still, uh, it does. It makes her really human. It makes her, it, it is really flawed. There isn't like that direct arrow where you can just like get on the train and under I mean, you're with her the whole time, but you're like, girl, what are you doing? Grab the wheel. Um, it works.
2: Well, can I, here's a question for you. Um how did you feel about the series finale?
3: Oh god, it she goes back to big? Is that we learn his fucking name?
2: <laughs> yeah, John. And
3: it's John? John.
2: Yeah. Like, John. you really yeah. John Preston something. John I mean, Preston John James is. Preston the third. Yeah. Um well, okay, but I, the reason I asked the question here is because this does speak to what we were just discussing, which is what does Carrie want, and th- there is an argument to be made, and 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 uh, Emily Nussbaum makes it quite well in her in her New Yorker article that that Carrie was just never supposed to end up with anybody, that that there is a component to Carrie of a restlessness and a and a, and a desire to be wanted, but unsure of how to entang- untangle all of these feelings, um, you know the show dips its toe into some of her perhaps issues with her father at a certain point in season five. But again, I'm not really sure that that really illuminates much. Um, But there's an argument to be made for whether or not the show pulls its punches at the end and pairs her up with big because they think that's what the audience wants. And it's not necessarily what makes the most sense for the character. Um, And then you see in the two fucking movies afterwards that she's, 10 times more aimless than she's ever been. She doesn't really want to be married. She seems to be you know, unhappy in marriage on top of everything else. So it is very odd. Um, but in talking about the series, which is far better than the movies, I think that the series tries to have its cake and eat it too, which is she, it's the whole fucking Paris thing. He goes to Paris, he finds her, she flies back to New York. And then he, at the end, she's on the phone. He's like, I'm moving back to New York, baby, from California or whatever what I like about that ending is it doesn't necessarily mean they end up together forever. Like there's an ellipse to it. There's this idea of if you want to believe that they get back together and everything is wine and roses then you can, Uh, the movies make it too finite. The movies literally pair them up and it just, it's just not great. Um, But this is sort of the bigger question I have for you, which is sort of as a series, did you feel satisfied with the way that it resolves itself? Did it work for you or did you feel as though um, you wanted a different ending?
3: It's partially, you know, I think that open ended. I, I think it was a smart ending. I think it it did. It it is kind of a a weenie move where they. It is like you can have your cake and eat it too. Is what they're trying to do, and so you kind of do neither. But also, it it's him or the or the French dancing man. It's like the he's, uh, the he's other, Russian,
2: but yes, <laughs> like the French dancing man. <laughs>
3: Like, it's not like, okay, one, it should have been big or no one big in herself big in the city, right? Like it that should have been the choice. And I would have been more down for I would have cared more. But it's like, it wasn't even Aiden. It wasn't even the city or herself. It was this little, this little shrimp man, just he didn't seem nice or attractive. She didn't seem to like him or belong there. Like, it just seems so obvious that you're like, well, if it's like, you know, McDonald's or Burger King, I guess I'm getting McDonald's. Like,
2: it was a good I no mean, Petrovsky was not great. I think we can both agree that Petrovsky was, was not great. Not great. Um, <laughs> you you made you made an interesting point, you know, bigger the city. And and I wonder if and maybe this is contrived and maybe they didn't want the show to go down this road, but I think it's bigger her friends, right? Like if they were smart, they would have created a scenario where I don't want to say if they were smart, but there's an option where where Samantha Miranda and Charlotte, she has to make a decision as to whether or not she's going to stay with her friends or if she's going to stay like I guess the question is is it California or New York, right? Like Bigs like you have to move if you're going to yeah. be with me, you have to move to California. And she decides, "No, I want New York and my girls. Like that's me." Well, that's that's it the decision. Been so
3: much better.
2: Right? Like that's that's the thing. Um and fuck Big because he puts her into an ultimatum and this then, right? Like that that to me is the right ending, but yeah.
3: It is weird that it ends in Paris, right? Does, does she come home or do they end up no, on No, she, she, she comes home.
2: She comes home. home. She, they, she, the whole thing's in Paris. He goes to Paris, chases her to Paris. She sort of gets slapped by Petrovsky. It's like this half slap sort of oh, thing, yeah, where it's like yeah, he accidentally hits yeah, yeah, her, yeah. and then it's ugh. and then basically she flies back to New York. There's like the big montage. She gets to hang out with her girls, and then he calls her and says, "I'm moving back, baby."
3: Yeah, I mean the open endedness of it is nice. It's like this is this is not over, yeah. but they're not like the answer isn't she in Big Forever now. The movies, nope. There's this this thing. I think it's the first movie where she says, "I've been cheating on fashion with furniture or something," and I was like, "Oh, you've just lost her entirely. She's just <laughs> settled down buying fucking couches. Yep, just yep. buying couches. It's yep. just like, okay, fine.
2: I mean, the thing the thing about I mean, I, I know that there are people that believe that the first movie is canon um, because it at least attempts to to square up with the series." the second movie is like a fever dream that doesn't that's just like you you watch it in in shock and awe that that any of this is transpiring um dana schwartz who was on the previous episode is convinced that the kiss between that aiden is not there that it's all a hallucination in the oh. desert and the cheat. which i i much prefer that version of it because I then at you. least aiden's not a, a, an idiot um but yeah, it's just they 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 lose the thread. They forget what people like about the show, and and they just it's it's bad. But
3: is the first one when Charlotte shits herself? Correct. Yeah. No. I'm out. I'm out. I'm both. I know you're out. I'm out too. No.
2: It's. I mean, part of it too is, and I don't want to get too analytical about the movies because they don't deserve it, but <laughs> I do think that um, if you look at the first movie. The second movie, I don't want to talk. About. The first movie is really kind of broken up into episodes that he that, that Michael Patrick can kind of then smush together into a feature. Which, by and large, I don't necessarily take umbrage with, but it does sort of feel like: Did we need three fashion shows? Did this movie need to be two and a half hours long? Yeah. Did he need to step sort of stand her up at the aisle, but not really? Like it's all just it's just a whole big mess. But yeah. so at the end of every one of these episodes, I've been asking my guests. To tell me their favorite character and why. Doesn't need to be of the three girls, four girls, that is. But do you have a favorite character and why? Oh my
3: god, this is such a bigger I mean, who doesn't love Magda?
2: It, Magda's like, the best.
3: Magda's the best. Um yeah. Oh my goodness. This is like such I know, a, I don't
2: mean to put you on the spot. I know. I, but I would anyway.
3: need to I would need to prepare for that. I mean I wanna okay. say Carrie, but she's so awful in retrospect. <laughs> she's so awful. She's such a bad friend. Um, who comes along? Sometimes
2: she's not a bad friend, though. Like we just talked about that moment with Charlotte. Like it's not that Carrie's total a total garbage person. She does make bad decisions. Like just for instance, <laughs> now I'm, I'm now I'm going to eat my words, but like within the same season, if I'm not mistaken, she defends Charlotte at that symposium that like weird self-care thing but within the same season she also yells at charlotte for not selling her wedding ring so she could buy her apartment
1: oh my god
2: oh (laughs) she's a bad person
3: my god it's crazy i
2: don't
3: know who's your favorite character
2: oh boy uh i mean it's it's probably miranda it's miranda or steve i guess but i also quite like harry like it's the thing about miranda is that um her uh, her style of comedic delivery is far more my thing like that droll kind of like weird sarcastic humor. Um, what I like about Steve is that like how carefree he is like there's just something very sort of like it's all gonna work itself out. it's all gonna be fine. Um, and then Harry's just like a good Jew. He's just a nice Jewish guy who just you know so I don't know those are I, those love,
3: are it. I love when Harry sits naked on Charlotte's furniture. Correct. That's, that's very nice for me. That works.
2: I, you know, my, my hope is, and, and you know, we'll see as the, as the miniseries progresses, my hope is to get some people from the show, writers, directors, maybe some cast. But, you know, one of the cast members that I would love to talk to actually is Kristen Davis, because I think that Charlotte's character perhaps goes through the most growth of any of the characters over the course of the series. In terms of where she starts to where she ends you really start to see someone who, who looks within themselves as to what's important to them and why it's important to them. Um, So yeah, I don't know. Take that for what it's worth.
3: I also just want to throw out there that I don't understand. I don't understand Aiden on any level. And I really don't understand Chris. No, like that's another one who, when I was younger, I was like, Oh, this is someone who's attractive to like adult women. Like I'm just not old enough yet, and watching it now, I'm like, "You're sorry, Chris Noth out there, but Mr. Big." I'm just like, "What? What is the appeal of this guy? It's so weird." And she makes some weird reference to him being older than her that that's like sexy for her. It's just so weird. It's so weird. You have no insight for me.
2: I well, okay, I I have a little bit of insight. Uh, I have a little bit of insight on both of them. I think. I mean, first of all, I would, I would. I would say that both of the actors John Corbett and Chris Noth are charismatic. Like there there is an element of charisma that they bring. They're both they're both TV stars from different television shows obviously, but there is an element of charisma that they bring to the roles. Um and I actually really enjoy when they kind of become rivals and then friends in season 4. There's a nice smart. kind of thing there. Um but even Chris Noth, I listened to this really great podcast, which I'll send you that you might quite like, which is a, literally an oral history of the show. And he talks about how, like, he didn't really get it. And it was supposed to be, it was supposed to literally be one episode. He was just going to be in the pilot. Um, and that he essentially was brought back for the way that he delivers the last line of the pilot when she says, have you ever been in love? And he says, "Absolutely fucking lutely And they were just like, I like that. We need more of that. Um So there is something about him. Now, I'm convinced, and one of the previous guests that came on here said that (laughs) Mr. Big would absolutely be a Trump supporter, and I think there is something to that. Because there's the whole, like, there's the business. Like, he seems like a Republican. Whether or not he would vote Trump, I don't know, but he has that kind of vibe to him a little bit. Aiden, I think, is very, like, of the earth. He, like, makes furniture out of, like, wood and, like, there's, there's something very sort of, like, Handyman, you know, I don't know. He's got this like Paul Bunyan kind of thing going on, I guess. Not for me.
3: Not for me. Like, you know, there's that episode where they go to his cabin and it's like torture Mm -hmm. for her. I feel that. I mean, I feel that now in suburbia. Like, I just, it just feels like a prison. A cabin to me feels like a prison. I know it's somebody's thing, but it's not mine. And I just want to say one more thing. Please. I feel like this show. You know, because you asked me, like, what was it like as a young woman watching it? What did it mean? And I think, and this episode's doing it, and in other places it's doing it, it doesn't further this singular agenda of family as the end-all be-all for a woman. Like, there's that episode where Carrie's shoes go missing at a baby party, and she registers to marry herself and, like, only registers for the Manolos. That was revolutionary. Like, to say why are we only celebrating each other's lives when it's marriage and babies and like there's only one life that gets celebrated like like shoes are important for me and that counts and I get to say that like that was just like yeah like that was like your identity you matter just you as a person on this earth you matter even if you're a young woman and I just think that's that's awesome and the show does I wanna- I mean, yeah.
2: I, I couldn't agree with you more, and I, I want to piggyback on it a little bit and just say that I think what you're also speaking to is the spectrum of women that can exist. This idea that men get to be all these different types of men, whereas women have to fit into these very specific and narrow definitions. And I think that this show goes a long way with with that particular instance with the shoes, but also just in the four leads of showing how many different types of women can exist, they can live different lives, they have different choices, they have this, you know, autonomy to be able to do what they want to do with their lives. And I think part of it is, you know, part of it is why if I'm being completely frank, why I prefer writing female characters to male characters is that, you know, the choices that you have to make as a woman, and when I I don't say you, I just mean a woman, you know, if it's, this idea that you have to choose between a career or being a mother, like these ideas, these preconceived antiquated ideas um, are kind of thrown to the wind in this show, which I think is one of the great things about it and why I think on top of its audacity, on top of it's sort of like sexiness and this, that and whatever, and being very funny. I think why it stands the test of time is exactly what we're talking about. It's those moments where you saw that when you were whatever, 14, 15, 18 years old, whatever it was. And it's sort of, you know, Imprinted something on you where you were like, wait, yeah, fuck. Why? Why does she have to have kids? Like, why is that a thing?
3: Exactly. So, and it also like it just bums me out. It's twenty years old. You know, it's like mm-hmm. it. It just shows how important representation is in the media. And yeah. then you go, well, this show's also really fucking white. And like,
2: oh, I was I was just gonna say, like incredible that. bummer.
3: Yeah, like the white New York that yeah. has been painted and continues to get painted is just goddamn ridiculous. So we are doing I, better.
2: It is. <laughs> Yeah, C- couldn't agree with you more. It 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 is, I think the the blemish on this show, and it yeah. is and it is a large one, is that that and they tried to unring it near the end of the series. You know, they, they bring tried. in uh, yeah. Um, uh, what can I think Blair Underwood? Like they, yeah. they 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 do what, but but it's it's a little bit too little too late. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I agree. And then, I mean, don't get me started on how they. Show Abu Dhabi in the second movie. Oh my God,
3: we can't even talk about it. So, <laughs> so like they
2: just they 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 are not great at cultural distinctions and and what have you. But they went. But but you know to to end on a positive, I do think that from a uh, a women's perspective and from a femininity and sure. and all of that, I, I think that they went a long way. But thank you for being here, Tia. <laughs> I know you. I know. Me. I know that you have a million things to do for your show, so I appreciate you taking a little bit of time to to talk about the show with us.
3: Thanks for having me. Anytime. And you know, everyone can look forward to me coming back for the talented Mr. Ripley again yeah. and Freddy Got Fingered.
2: <laughs> well, I mean, yes. We're going to we're going to do uh, Here's what I know, okay? Uh-huh. Which is we're going to do Freddy Got Fingered at some point. Great. Because I've never seen it and I need to I need to live through the experience with you. All I know is the only thing I know about this movie outside of what you <laughs> you acted out for us in the writer's room once <laughs> is the scene where he's playing the keyboard and all of his fingers have sausages and he's singing, Daddy, what a sausage! Daddy, what a sausage! That's all I know.
3: Correct, that's a great part. That's a really good part for you to know about. <laughs> I'm watch the whole thing. Anytime. can't
2: wait. All right, um, thank you, Tia, again for coming.
3: Thanks, on. Phil, Thanks for having me. 99.